First Timothy, it's on page 991, if you'd like to use a Bible from the church. Otherwise, First Timothy chapter 1, I want to read verses 3 through 7 of chapter 1 this morning. Thank you guys for helping us to sing to the Lord this morning. We're grateful for your service and your leadership. And uh, also, I'm grateful for our HVAC guy. He spent the last three days, the unit in this room went down. He spent the last three days getting it back up for us this morning. And so, (laughs) yeah, we're grateful for that. So um, anyway, let's look at God's word. And this is God's word for us this morning, beginning at verse 3, 1 Timothy chapter 1. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. You may be seated. Thank you, Father, for your word. There is no word like your word. Every word of yours is true, and your word is living and active. And so we would pray that by your spirit that you would be at work in our midst as we consider now your word as a part of our worship. We pray that you really would be worshiped as we receive your word. Open our eyes, Father, that we would see wonderful things. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we began last week considering the book of 1 Timothy. And uh, we started last week, and Lord willing, uh, sometime in late spring, is there even such a category as that this morning? But sometime in late spring, we'll, we'll finish our study in 1 Timothy. Last week, we looked at the first couple of verses and, and, uh, and uh, considered some introductory greetings and uh, introductory remarks. But now here in verse 3 of chapter 1, Paul gets right down to business with Timothy. And the first thing on the docket is the matter of false teachers and their false teaching. Let's look at verse 3 again as we look at the first point, and that is the duty of faithful instruction. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus. Timothy, Timothy, you stay at Ephesus. I'm heading to Macedonia. 
And then he says, so that. So here's the purpose. The, the reason I need you to stay in Ephesus is so that you may charge. Uh, the notion of instruct is probably too mild. Uh, charge is a good word. Command is another fitting word. That, that, that you may charge or command certain persons not to teach different doctrine. Timothy, here's your assignment. I'm reminding you of this assignment. I left you there in Ephesus for the purpose of commanding or charging certain people to not teach different doctrine. That's the issue. What, 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 what is this different doctrine? It is, it, is, is a, it is a teaching or a doctrine that is outside the standard. What's the standard? Well, Paul's letter to Timothy here uses that, this word, different doctrine, another place in this book. Look at chapter 6, verse 3. It actually helps us to understand something of this different doctrine. In, in 1 Timothy 6.3, he says, if anyone teaches a different doctrine, see, that's the same, same word. So uh, it, 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 the, the matter that Paul first brings up with Timothy is, is, is the matter that Paul concludes with Timothy. This, this, the, the, a main thrust of this book concerns this matter of different doctrine. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus and the teaching that accords with godliness, there it is right there. What is this different doctrine? It's a doctrine that hasn't come from Jesus, and it's a doctrine that does not produce godliness. And so the standard, which I would suggest to you, is the apostolic standard, the standard that Jesus entrusted to the apostles. In fact, in John 14, 26, as Jesus is announcing his departure, he says, but the helper... The Holy Spirit, he will come after I leave. And he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. So the apostolic standard, the apostolic doctrine is that which has been transmitted uh, to the apostles by Jesus and through the Holy Spirit. Anything that doesn't come from Jesus, anything, therefore, that doesn't promote true godliness is a different doctrine. So this matter of different doctrine brackets the book of 1 Timothy. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? This is a biblical priority. It's a biblical priority for local churches and for leaders in local churches to be concerned with the doctrine that 
that comes from Jesus and the doctrine that promotes, therefore, godliness. Any doctrine not from Jesus, any doctrine, therefore, that doesn't promote godliness is a different doctrine. And what Paul says to Timothy is you need to put a stop to that. Now, he, he elaborates in verses 4 and verses 6. I won't deal with verse 6 much. I'll just read it. Uh, but it gives us a flavor of some more things. He elaborates about this different doctrine that Timothy is to charge certain persons to stop teaching. Uh, he says, nor devote themselves, verse 4, to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. And verse 6, certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, uh, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. These false teachers like to have vain discussions and, uh, and promote uh, speculative thinking rooted in some sort of mythology and endless excavation of genealogies. Now, I don't know the particular details as to what that particularly looked like in that context. What were these guys doing uh, that pertain to speculating in terms of myths and genealogies? What, what were the particular beliefs that they were affirming in terms of their vain discussions? But we do know this, whatever they were speculating about, whatever vain discussion they were having, it was outside the standard. It was a different doctrine. It was, it, it was not a doctrine or a teaching provided by Jesus, and, and therefore it wasn't a doctrine or teaching that would promote true godliness. It, it walked in the realm of myth. Now, I would define myth, in this context at least, as an unreal tale. The word myth is used... Um, five times in the New Testament, Peter uses it once, and Paul uses it four times in the pastoral letters, First and Second Timothy and Titus. These guys were fascinated with speculative claims and fascinating claims that, that could not be rooted and grounded in the teachings of Jesus and therefore did not produce true godliness in Life. That's why it's just it's, it's vain. It doesn't do anything of, of any benefit. And yet, gullible people who are gravely blind and deceived love to flirt with endless speculations that offer no lasting value. Speculating with vain discussions and myths and endless genealogies do not promote God's glory in Jesus Christ, and they do not promote true godliness in our lives. Timothy, 
I left you behind. You're, you're to stay behind to put a stop to the false teaching that is contrary to gospel truth. It must stop. He writes there also in verse 4 that, that uh, they are myths and in endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship of God that is by faith. The stewardship of God that is by faith. I would suggest to you that what he's described here is that when you go down this rabbit trail of, of speculating in myths and genealogies, you are not doing the Lord's work. You are not promoting the plan of God, the stewardship that's been entrusted to us as the church, uh, which is the unfolding uh, plan concerning the salvation of souls that is received by faith. You see, the apostolic doctrines given to the early church by Jesus and entrusted to the apostles, the apostolic doctrines are gospel doctrines. And gospel doc only gospel doctrines uh, uh, concern themselves with advancing the plan of God, the redemptive salvation of souls. Only the gospel, only gospel doctrines, apostolic gospel doctrines, hold out the saving purposes of God, calling for faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the church's business, is to preach a teaching, to preach a message that declares that God's saving purposes come through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Culturally, you'd say, no, Joe, 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 Joe. We're educated modern people, and uh, nobody in our culture today is silly enough to, to uh, wallow in myths and speculations. Hello, have you been on social media lately? Our culture is awash with myths. It's a myth that a man can get pregnant. It's a myth that a little girl can become a man. There, 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 there's no basis in reality to make those assertions. It's, it's, it's you're, you're promoting an unreal tale. You're speculating. And the church's assignment, leadership in a church has been given the task of speak, speaking reality, gospel doctrine, apostolic doctrine, into a culture that is awash with speculations and myths. that loves it some silliness. 
Paul would conclude the book of 1 Timothy with saying, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. What's that? Guard the deposit. What's been entrusted to the apostolic gospel doctrines? Guard it. Avoid irrelevant babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Paul instructed Timothy to proclaim the truth of Christ. And Paul instructed Timothy to protect and defend the truth of Christ. Well, so what are we to do? Our, our, our calling as a church is, is, is not altogether different than that. We are to be a body of people who gather together for the proclamation of the gospel so that we're rooted and grounded in the truth so that we can even give an answer to him who asks us of the hope that we have within us so that we can proclaim the gospel of Christ and so that we can um, know it and protect it and defend the, the gospel of Christ. Why would we like, get all in a, in a fuss about that? What's at stake? What's at stake are you kidding me? What's at stake in whether or not we decide to proclaim the truth of Christ and defend and protect the, the truth of Christ or not? Maybe we decide to do something else. What's at stake is that the truth about Jesus in our lives today is the difference between heaven and hell. If what you're believing, if what you're living for, if what is the compass orienting your life, the North Star, whatever you want to call this thing, uh, that is guiding your life is something other than the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, then your destiny is gravely fatal. But if you know and cherish and believe and proclaim and defend the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ, then your destiny is eternal and glorious. So the duty of faithful instruction. Second, the design of faithful instruction. Let's put our eyes on verse 5 for a second. And as we do... Think about this. So what's the end game here? Why, why, is, why is Paul telling Timothy to, to go to those certain peoples who are teaching different doctrines and command them to stop? Well, he says, verse 5, the aim of our charge now, what was the charge again? Put your eyes back up on verse 3. Uh, I, 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 as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons. The, the, what, was, what was the end game behind uh, Timothy being left behind in Ephesus to charge certain people to quit flirting around with different doctrines? What's the aim or the end game or the goal of that? The, the aim of our charge, back to verse 5, is... Love that issues from 
a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. The end game, the end uh, uh, product, the end result uh, of, uh, of, of promoting uh, apostolic gospel doctrines, uh, the end game, the, the, the result of, of squelching uh, and issuing an injunction against those who would teach different doctrines is love. Now, it, 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 our, our culture doesn't have a category for these things because in a sense, what Paul is telling Timothy to do is something negative. Timothy, go tell those people to stop teaching that. And the, and the, and the aim or the goal of you telling them to stop teaching that is love. We, we don't, to, to tell somebody that they're wrong is never thought of as a loving thing. I mean, it's like, hello, Joe, where, what planet are you living in? It's not really what planet I'm living in. It's, it's like, what is Paul saying to us here about the, the aim of telling people to stop teaching different doctrines is love. Paul tells Timothy to seek to put an end to false teachings and the false teachers. Love is the core of the matter as to why he's assigned that task. Why? Because, listen, error never produces love. Love can never be genuinely built on the foundation of falsehoods. Love never originates from vain discussions and speculations and, and, uh, and um, wishful thinking about endless genealogies and fascinating claims that are mythical. Only truth fosters love. Do we want to be truly loving people? Not everybody's going to sign up for that one. Give me two of them while we're at it. I mean, we got enough to hand out today. There's not many of us here. We get double portion. But if we want to truly be a person who is loving, really what Paul is telling Timothy, what God is saying to us is to become a loving person, we got to get truth. So, so negatively, the reason you would stop a false teacher and false teaching is because a false teacher and false teaching never produces love. Stopping the false teaching from being promulgated is, it gives optimism of, of how love could be produced. Positively, positively, we could just simply say that the goal of, of faithful Christian teaching, the, the uh, end game of Faithful Christian doctrine ought to be 
the manufacturer and the creation of love in our hearts and lives. Now, our culture says to us some of the most silliest things that you could ever imagine to be said. It actually, in its, its, its delusional promulgation of love, it says, love is love. I don't even know what that means. That's undefinable. Love is love. Well, no, God is love, actually. And by the way, love is not God. God is love. Love is love is a meaningless but nice-sounding cliche that is promulgated by our culture today to promote all sorts of wrongdoing. I mean, under the rubric of love is love, we mutilate children. And that's what you call love? I don't want no kind of that love like that. First Corinthians chapter 13 tells us, enlisting several traits about what love is, and this is more rational when you, other than saying love is love, whatever that is. How about love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but love rejoices in the truth. Or last night, um, I was able to catch a, a bit of the first game. Second game, I couldn't watch. I got boxed out. I don't think that's very loving. But, but these are from the people that want to educate us about love. On the back of the helmets, it says, do love. Again, what does that even mean? These are people that are fascinated with some headless concept of love, but have no idea what they are talking about. I'm not sure what that means, do love. I'm not sure they know what that means to do love. I'm not sure if they know they, they don't know what that means to do love. It certainly, certainly do love doesn't mean you put the playoff game on pay TV. I don't feel the love from that one. I'm not bitter. <laughs> <laughs> uh. see we have this culture oh fascinated with this thing called love they know there's something to it I mean it, and it shouldn't surprise us uh, uh, even people with silly ideologies are, are people made in the image of God and they, but they just can't quite put their finger on it but they know that somehow or another love's a big deal love's important and, and but what they what they do is they try to figure out what love is without trying to figure out the truth that God has revealed about Himself. Now, just as a sidebar, it's just the aim of our charge, the aim of 
of either positively teaching faithful doctrine or negatively putting an injunction on people who would teach false doctrine. The aim of that is love. It just stands to reason, even though this text doesn't fully develop it or go into it, but other texts do, that if the aim uh, of our instruction is love, then, of course, the manner of that instruction uh, and the motivation behind that instruction should also be love. Ephesians 4, 15 tells us to speak the truth in love. Or what Paul would say to Timothy in the second book, 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, verses, uh, chapter Timothy, chapter, cha- 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, where he says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Do you see see the manner and even the motivation? Why would we want to teach the truth, which gives rise to true love? Well, we would do that from a a disposition and from a motivation that's oriented by, by love as well. Paul helps us. He doesn't take these vague concepts of love like our culture does, do love and love is love, but he actually then, in, in saying the, 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 the goal of teaching the truth and the goal of, of countering falsehoods is love, and then he gives us some defining qualities of this love that he speaks of. Look at the three things he's listed there. Put your eyes back on verse 5. Um, the aim of our charge is love that issues from, in other words, I'm talking about a kind of love that comes from somewhere, not nowhere. I'm talking about a kind of love that comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Paul wants God's people to possess and display a kind of love that is birthed through the truth, a kind of love that's anchored by the qualities that he mentions here, a kind of love that's informed of the qualities mentioned here, a kind of love that flows out of the qualities mentioned here. And what are these qualities? First of all, a pure heart. Now in the Bible, the heart is not merely that physical thing uh, that pumps blood. Uh, the heart is used as a metaphor to describe the seat, the center, the command post of our lives. Uh, the heart is that thing um, that regulates uh, and produces our thoughts and our affections and our choices and our actions. All of life flows out of uh, the disposition of our heart. Uh, all, all, all of life, all of our thoughts and emotions and uh, actions and words uh, Uh, They don't come from nowhere. They come from somewhere, and they come from our hearts. So a pure heart consists of a life with a single utmost devotion. A heart, a a pure heart is is a a life um, that is taking its cues 
as far as its thoughts, affections, and actions, and choices from its devotion to God. It's not an inward-turned uh, heart. It is an outward and upward determined, uh, de- uh, uh, determined uh, heart. You see, this may sound controversial, but you can't truly love unless you're devoted to the Lord. Now, you could play around with some partial elements and some cheap facsimiles, uh, but, but, uh, but to, the kind of love that truth produces is a kind of love that produces this kind uh, of, is a kind of love produced by this kind of truth because it's a kind of love and truth that gets into our hearts and, and begins to point us to a true devotion to the God who made us. Second, not only a pure heart, the kind of love we're talking about is a, is a love that, that flows from a pure heart, a love that's devoted to God, but, but a good conscience. Now, the conscience in the scriptures is our conscious awareness of right and wrong. It's part of God's design for us. He's made each of us with a conscience. That doesn't mean our conscience is always correct, and so that's why he modifies the word conscience with a good conscience. Our our conscience is our conscious awareness of right and wrong, and yet for that to be a good consciousness of truly right and wrong, then it must be a good conscience. That is, it must be a properly working and, and, and correctly regulated ability to distinguish right from wrong. regulated by Scripture, operating in accordance with the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So let me get myself out there on a limb a bit further. I just said you can't truly love unless you're devoted to the Lord. You can't truly love unless you truly know right from wrong. Do you get the feeling that our culture is, is, uh, it's, it's in big trouble? It loves the concept, the 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 ideal of love, but its ideology is devoid of love because it has no place for a true devotion to the Lord. It has no place for uh, some sort of uh, binary categories of true and false. And yet it loves it some love. But it ain't love. It ain't love unless it's comes from a heart that is devoted to the Lord unless it comes from a conscience that knows right from wrong. And third, a sincere faith. Faith is a, as the Bible describes it, is more than an intellectual assent. It is a personal trust, a, a true reliance, and, and, an, and, an, and an honest confession that Christ is Lord So, a sincere faith is a gospel-informed, God-induced satisfaction in Jesus. Let me put it out there. 
I've already got myself on the limb so far. Our culture doesn't, you and I, or our culture, nobody knows nothing about love, incapable of loving, unless their hearts are devoted to Jesus, unless their consciences are regulated by Jesus, and unless their faith is, is built into Jesus. To put the loop all back together, if I can, I tear, tore it apart. I mean, in other words, do you see why it's so important for apostolic gospel doctrines to be taught? For without apostolic gospel doctrines, there is no adequate way to work on the heart to produce a pure devotion to the Lord. Without apostolic doctrines, there is no way to work on the conscience to, to cause it to be a good, well-regulated conscience. Without gospel apostolic doctrines, there's no way to promote true satisfaction in the Lord Jesus Christ. It takes a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith to be a person of love, to be a loving person. You see, love must have, if it's love, if it's the kind of love we've been talking about here, that the Bible talks about, it's a kind of love that has a moral character. It's a kind of love that gives rise to a virtuous life. And it is a kind of love that is grounded in a true relationship with Jesus. You don't know Jesus. You're not virtuous. You don't have categories of morality. Then that thing you call love ain't. And the actions that you are performing, the words you are promoting, have nothing to do with love. So why did Paul tell Timothy to stay at Ephesus and put an injunction on those guys who were deep teaching different doctrines? Because love was at stake. To truly be a person who displays biblical love, that person must have a biblical knowledge leading to a biblical life uh, oriented by a biblical framework. Or to put it this way, and I'll close. When we truly look at Jesus, when the Spirit of God opens our eyes to see Jesus for who he really is, then our souls will truly see the love of God displayed because the Spirit of God, through the gospel doctrines of the apostles, the Spirit of God floods our hearts with the very love of God in Christ Jesus. And through those doctrines uh, used by the Spirit of God to stir in our hearts and our consciences and in our souls, we begin to learn something about what love consists of. We see it displayed in the cross of Christ. And as we see it displayed, and as our souls are satisfied in that display of love, we are now to be a people who display such love. Thank you, Father, for your word. There's no word like your word. So help us to take your word to heart. Embed it into our souls, we pray. We would ask that you would be 
at work in each of our lives, that you would remove from our hearts and minds this morning anything that's not in harmony with your word, but that in your kindness you would get a grip on our souls and embed your truths into our hearts that we truly would be loving people because we truly know the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. For it is in his name we pray. Amen.